So we have been talking about the book of John. John the Brethren. Okay, so there is in the light of God's perspective. He has given us several things through the book of John. As Jesus came along, he, he talked about several things, and he said Jesus is all of these different things. All right? One of them was, do you remember, John 1, 1 and 2? The Word. The Word, okay? And what was the point of the Word? He was God. And what, is, what does word mean? A way of communicating. Communicating, okay. And so, God wants to communicate to us about himself. This is important because we keep learning about him. We learn that he is the light. We learn that he is the bread of life. We learn that he is the water, the living water, okay. We learn that he is the door. And we learn that he is the good shepherd. Alright? We learn all these things about Jesus. And we also learn about a new thought. So each one of these is kind of a, this is what Jesus is, right? And these new thoughts come out of it. Light in religion gives you this enlightenment, right? It gives you a new vision. It helps you see things more clearly than you did in the dark, right? That's, and that's what God is saying about truth that comes through Christ is that you're, you're seeing more clearly when you get Christ in your life. So if you don't have Christ in your life, you're kind of like you're fumbling around in the dark and hoping you find something. All right? How good are you going to do? Well, not good. All right? The other day, I walked downstairs, and I knew there was stuff there from the night before because some people in my house left the room a disaster, but I forgot. And I like to not turn the lights on. I don't know why. It's just a thing. So, boom! I hit stuff and kicked stuff across the room. And I think one was like a big toy truck or something like that. And luckily, I didn't get hurt and didn't break anything. But it's hard without light, right? When you put light on there, you begin to see things differently. Bread, of course, is kind of provision and water. You need that to survive. It's daily things. And this is where all along here, the door was protection. So you have provision and protection and enlightenment, knowledge. And this is again protection. So the door is the door in the sheepfold, right? Where Jesus protects us, puts himself in there. And also the good shepherd that guides us and protects us, whacks us over the head with a staff every once in a while and said, dumb sheep, get back, right? Don't do that. Don't jump over the edge. That will hurt you, okay? <laughs> because we need those kinds of things sometimes. And that's this daily walk through life that Jesus has been saying, here's what you need from me. And yes, all these things are very applicable to life. But tonight is something different, all right? Something unique a different way that Jesus approaches this. More radical. Each one of these, for the religious people of the day, was very radical. Because you can understand this. Almost any human understands words. Light and darkness. Bread and water. A door. Okay, these are all very basic things for you to understand. So it's not like... Whoa, that religious stuff is super heady. No, it's water. You get that? What do you do? You drink it. It makes you not thirsty. Everybody can see that. Regardless of what society you come from, 
You are created in such a way where you need these things. You need daily protection and provision. You need these. Every society has it. If you go into the wilds of Africa where they live in huts, they live in huts for a reason, for protection. They live in groups for protection. Some, some societies have fences and palisades. Some have walled cities in places. Okay? And us armies, right? Because we know that we need protection. Protection from the elements, protection from daily life. We have, we have um, law enforcement because we know we need protection. So these things are daily pretty obvious to us. In every society, there's somebody that's a protector. All right? There's somebody, they have an army, they have warriors, they have fighters, they have animals, whatever they have for protection. All right? And almost every society in America, or not in just America, but almost every society in the world understands animals and shepherding. All right? Most everyone has some sort of animals that they have domesticated, herded, and used for milk, meat, eggs, some sort of produce from those animals. So it's all very obvious. And then there's something else that is obvious, but you can't do much about it. When I was a little boy, I was probably, I don't know, about eight years old or so, I got a BB gun, and I think it was for Christmas, and it was a Daisy BB gun. Pump action, you could do, shoot at one after another after another, you could load all down the barrels, it was a good one. It was a thick wooden stock and it felt like a real gun to me. So when you get a gun, a BB gun, you shoot and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot it. Take it out and I shot targets, shot at things, and then I kind of got bored. So I said, what good is this? If What else can I shoot? I kept asking my grandfather and my parents, what else can I shoot? What else can I shoot? So they said, well, figuring I'd probably never hit anything, I think, shoot at the birds. Okay, but don't shoot at chickadees or anything except sparrows. There's lots of sparrows, they said. So I went out and I watched and I waited and I hid back behind the bushes. And I watched and I waited for these hundreds of sparrows to come in. Not one. Not a single sparrow came. I said, well, I must be in the wrong spot. So I moved and I waited. And I laid still and I watched. No sparrows. No birds. So finally, I recall coming to a very interesting place where I could just be outside of my grandfather's house and he had a bird feeder. <laughs> and there were birds at the bird feeder. And I watched and I watched and said, I have got to get one of these sparrows. I watched and I watched. There were no sparrows at his bird feeder. I don't know how there were no sparrows. It seems like at my bird feeder, that's all I ever get. And I watched, and it seemed like I came back for days on end just to watch this. And probably when you're eight, days on end is probably more like two days I tried it and it didn't work. And I got very impatient. And then there was this bird. And I shot it. It was a woodpecker. <laughs> it was the only bird I could shoot. Because I waited and waited and waited when I was eight. So I had to shoot it like twice to kill it. Once it was wounded, I couldn't let it be. And I thought to myself, 
as that moment happened, like, I got this bird. And then immediately I felt bad because I knew that I should not have shot the woodpecker. Even though there were no sparrows anywhere, I should not have shot that woodpecker. I felt bad. And I remember picking up that bird and thinking, I can't do anything to it to help it. That's it. I can't like put life back in it. I can't take it away. What I have done, I cannot undo. And I felt bad about it, though I never told my grandfather because he would have been mad. <laughs> and I was eight at the time. I have since grown up <laughs> and hunted for food and done things and killed other animals. And there is a very final feeling when you know that what you did killed that animal. And when you go to touch that animal, the life is gone. What used to be life is gone. And I'm not advocating one way or another for it, for, for or against or whatever. What I am saying is life is final when it's gone. There is nothing a human can do to undo what's done once that last breath is breathed. It's finished. I've been to funerals of people that I know very well and have known for a long time. And in those funerals, my imagination only has gone to the place to say, this seems so strange that they're gone. And in my imagination, every once in a while, I've imagined that they're just going to sit up and start talking again. Because my whole life, that's all I've ever known, right? Is this person very much alive, very much interacting with me, very much doing those things. And as I have looked at an open casket with someone that I've loved for a long time, you look and you say, there's just, there's nothing there. They're not going to sit up. They're not going to even wink at you. There's nothing left. It's gone. Totally finished. And that is the way it is with death. It is complete. It's over. It's not like you can half die. You either died or you didn't, right? There's no halfway about it. Once you're dead, you can't say, oh, never mind. Just kidding, right? It doesn't work like that. The heart beats its last beat. You think your last thought. And the journey here in this life is finished. And it's over. Very, very much final. Now, as we go into the book of John, chapter number 11, we look at this situation. And I want to look at it. Um, we won't read all of it here. But I want to look at John, chapter 11, verse number 1, as we go and look at... Lazarus. Now you know this story. That's good. I want you to know this story, but I want to pick out a few details. So we're gonna we're gonna look and read verses one through six as we see the layout of the story and look at what has happened and Jesus' reaction to it and other people's reaction to this very final death. All right. Chapter eleven, verse number one through six, please. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the, that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair of his brother Lazarus that was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom, sent, he whom thou lovest is sick. 
When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, please. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Okay? So it starts off the story. It's careful to tell you that Jesus loves Martha. He loves Mary. And he, he loves Lazarus. He cares deeply about these people. Right? And it's important to know that. Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. MML. Okay? He loves them. And that is not any motive which we're going to question, but it's going to seem like it somewhere along the line. And you're going to question and say, I wonder if he really did. But it's very careful to say he does. He loves them. Now, when he heard this terrible news, Lazarus is going to die. He's very sick. He did the very opposite thing that everybody, that everybody expected him. He stayed where he was for two more days. Now, once he decides to go, it ends up that it's at least two more days by the time he gets there. All right, from the time he's first told, or at least the time that the messenger left, because remember, somebody's got to leave Mary and Martha's and Lazarus's house and go to find Jesus with a message. So that moment that he left, somewhere in there, it looks like Lazarus actually already died after the, the messenger left. But Jesus specifically stays there for two days. Two days are important, and so are another thing. So we'll put this aside for now. Two days, he stays. Now, if you said to your best friend, I need desperately some help right now, and your best friend said, I'll be there in two days, right? Desperate, life or death, I need help now. And you find out that they are 20 minutes away, but they don't come for two days. How is that going to make you feel? Dead. Hmm? Dead. Dead. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe. If it's your life or death, yes. Make you feel dead. But if you have something you really is important to you, does that make you feel loved? No. Yet, John says specifically, you should know. Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But he stays behind for two days. Do you think what he had to do was more important than his friend? Was it more important than Lazarus? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I want to say there's something else going on. Jesus knows this. And Jesus already answers back and says, He's not sick unto death, right? So that's kind of weird because we know Lazarus dies, right? So he must be thinking something different. Or he's wrong. But I'm guessing. He already knows. The way the story comes out, he clearly knows how things are, are going. Right? So, as Mary and Martha get together, all right, they're there. Jesus comes. He finally comes in. And here it is. Mary and Martha are in a real bad spot. And they needed their help from their best friend. And he didn't really come to help them. Could he have left? Sure, right away. Right away. All right. So, verse number 20, or 20 through 22, 
as we look and see, Jesus finally gets there. All right? Jesus shows up, verse 20 through 22. This is what Martha says directly to him. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. All right, here's their answer. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. You could have fixed this. Really? And she said, but it's too late. Now, I know you can do anything. But you could have fixed this. You could have done something different. Verse 32, skip along to verse 32, and we will go back a little bit. This is what Mary says. Verse 32. Then Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. All right. Sounds very much like her sister, right? If you would have been here, you could have fixed this. Now, here's what's different. Mary and Martha have learned from Jesus a lot of things. And what has he been teaching them? Enlightenment, provision, protection. And so they're used to this daily watching, daily thinking about God. And then this huge life-changing event is thrown right into the middle of their life. And they said, where's the provision in this? Where's the protection? I thought you were the good shepherd. You were watching us so we didn't die. Kind of heartless almost. Doesn't it seem heartless when you just don't say anything and you just don't show up for a couple days? Right? If your friend didn't text you back and you were really expecting some answer right away and you really needed it and they read the text and said, eh. So Jesus is doing something here. Again, think about this. Jesus has come all along, we talked about, to communicate, right? Isn't that what he is doing all along? He is constantly communicating with us as a human race who he is. Who he is. And more than that, what he is capable of... Right? And we find out he is capable to protect us and to enlighten us and to feed us and provide for us. He's capable to do all those things. And we learn to depend on him. And then something happens in our life that feels like we just got a sledgehammer up the side of the head. And when you finally get back up and, re- and say, what happened? Where was all this lovely daily things that God was giving us? Jesus was just in Mary and Martha's house not too long before. And he was teaching them and Mary was at his feet and everything was lovely and life was just so good. And you loved us. And then you didn't come and help us. You didn't help us when we needed it. You just left us hanging. Left us out there for however we felt and didn't really care. And this is what you're supposed to be doing for us, right? Here's the tender care of the shepherd out there helping us and gathering us and and watching over us. And then this big thing happens and you just didn't show up. You could have fixed it. You could have given us this daily protection if you'd have been there. Jesus has a reaction. Verse number 33. 
through 37, please. When Jesus thereof saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And said, Where have ye laid him? They say unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could this could not this man which opened his which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus we're going to thirty-seven, right? Yeah, we're going to thirty-seven. Alright. So here he is, and his reaction is he's troubled. And he cries. He wept, okay, right? And, and, which is not, we don't see that much, right? He cries. And it says he actually groaned in his spirit, which is a deep, it's not like a, oh, I feel bad. It's a, I have no words. What is he sad for? Last. No. If he was sad, wouldn't he have come and helped save him before he died? Probably. No. Maybe. Couldn't he have stopped him from being saved? Couldn't he have stopped Mary and Martha from going through this? Didn't he want to? I know. <laughs> and this is the the interesting thing. Somebody once said that now Jesus did did he know that he could raise Jesus Lazarus from the dead? By the way, he raises him from the dead, comes back to life, right? Does he know it? Is he sure? He's positive it's gonna happen, right? Alright? Why is he crying? In moments, he's going to have him standing back up. Why is he crying? Because he loves Mary and Martha, and he's sad that they're crying. Though he does love them, and we know that because it said it, right? <laughs> we know it. I don't think that's why he's crying. Somebody once said, here's the question. Anybody know how long Lazarus was dead for? Three days. How many? Three. Like Jesus, right? Four days. Oh. It was four days. What was that? Four days. Now, remember, he stayed for two days, and we think that the, the messenger, Lazarus, might have died right after the messenger left. Of course, the messenger doesn't know that, and he gets back. Time to travel there, time to travel back. Doesn't travel necessarily during the night. Um... And by the time it all occurs, he comes back and Lazarus has been bad, dead for four days. All right? That is significant. Is it because of the... I remember that Grandpa said it was the Jew thing, where if after four days of them being dead, they passed into the, uh, the dead group. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So... The Jews had a tradition, all right, a tradition that the spirit of a person who died lingered around the body for three days. All right, do you think that's true? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, what we do know is this. I've never been dead. So I can't tell you, okay? <laughs> I mean, all right. So I can't tell you if I, if I was dead, if I hung around a little bit, or what I could see or not see. But we do know this. Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So do we move directly into his presence? Yes, 
Is there a journey involved in that? Maybe. Do we see things on earth? I know people who have had dreams, including my grandfather, saying in his dream he died. And he watched himself float out of his body and come up and over top of his bed and he watched as my grandmother was in bed and his body was still in the bed where he left it. And he said he never felt so much joy in all his life and so much happiness that he was going. I'm on my way. And then he woke up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, which, which he said was very disappointing. Okay. Can you imagine? Doing so, right. and he's like, you're like, what's wrong? He's like, I'm alive. Yes, right, <laughs> right, right. So, is there a, some sort of journey? Likely. All right. Also, I know. Um, from some experience, personal experience, and other from other people telling me about this, people at the end of their life, very last few hours of their life, oftentimes when they're almost non-responsive or at least not coherent, often talk about seeing or call out the name of a loved one, a mother, a husband, a wife, something like that. Are they seeing those people for real? Are they on the edge of this reality and that reality? Maybe. So where is Lazarus for four days? In the on the edge of this reality and that reality. Well, he's, he's in that reality, right? And out of this one. He's fully dead for four days. He has been to heaven. Or paradise. And what's Jesus going to do? Snatch him back. Call him back. Which is kind of disappointing, right? Right? Like, oh, okay. I'll be like, no, please. There might be some of that in, in his weeping. See, what Jesus has is a great understanding of a bigger picture. A much, much bigger picture. And that's what Christ brings to this. When he says his answer, right? He gives an answer to... Back a little further in the chapter, verse number 23 through 27, when Martha comes out and says, you could have saved him if you'd have been. And what is her response? Verse 23 through 27. This is what is Jesus' response. I'm sorry. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. What? Oh, sorry. Hang on. <laughs> Wait, oh, what? Of uh, chapter 11, sorry. Sorry. And I was in the wrong spot what? myself. 24? Yes, it was tricky because 12 has a very similar verse. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but it <laughs> Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. All right. Jesus' first answer to Martha was... Your brother's going to rise again. <laughs> and yeah, I, I know, Jesus, right? You've told us about this end of the world. It's all going to be great. We're all going to have this great thing. And I believe you can do that. And I truly believe Martha believed that Jesus could do that. But the difference in that belief of someday the faith that it takes, the belief, the strength of your belief in, yeah, someday God's going to raise us all up and heaven's going to be wonderful. We're all going to be together. It's going to be fantastic. I, I know you can do that. The difference with that and the strength of faith that it takes for 
her to say, yeah, get him out of the tomb right now is a whole other matter. And so she struggles. Though she believes and loves Jesus, she struggles with it because there's really rubber meets the road type of thing right there. What is your faith worth? What do you really believe? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I can raise you up. Have they seen Jesus raise anybody up out of from the dead? No. Yes. Who? <laughs> That's a good question. They were walking by a funeral procession. And there was a woman. <laughs> And her only son, oh, who was boy. dead, he raised him up. He was dead for a day, whatever. Funeral procession was there. They were going to put him in there. There was another one. Remember the little girl in the bed? And he says, tell the Kumai, rise and shine, get up. And she gets up. All the people were laughing at him in the house. They've seen him raise the dead. But their guess they're just not really sure about his motive. Why didn't you just come and fix this? There are often times and things that we go through in life. Even this time in our age today, our country, why is it here? When so many of us say, don't we want the truth? Don't we want right to prevail? Don't we want to do the right thing? But many times, like Jesus waiting for two days more, there's something else God is doing. And we say, but you could fix this, God. Just, just put this person in power and change this and throw this person away and take care of this and it would be fixed. Just like Mary and Martha. You could have come here and fixed this. But instead, I think, yes, there's the weeping because Lazarus has got to come back from heaven, which is a pretty disappointing journey, all right? And I think there's weeping because of the lack of understanding. How far away these people really are from knowing him. And that their trust in him is just itty-bitty. And he says, I want so much more for you. I want you to see that there's a lot more here and stop getting wrapped around these little tiny things. Not to say that the death of Lazarus was a little tiny thing. It is a major event in the lives of his sisters. It is a major event in the life of Lazarus. But what is missing is the understanding that Jesus is good and that he will do good and can do good and has the power regardless of how many days. Four days, okay. You know what that? Four days, the body's all gone, the, the, the spirit's all gone, and they're like, don't open the tomb. He says, oh, go open the tomb. Don't open it, man. He's going to stink. It's been four days. It's over, Jesus. It's over. Right? But he says, go open it. And they then still don't understand. And I think this saddens God oftentimes because our understanding and our view is so short, so small, and we get wrapped around a little thing and we keep looking at it and, God, you could fix this. God, you could fix this. And he's up here doing everything all around us. Can't you fix this, God? Because because I'd really like you to fix this. And God's like... Did you see what I've been making around you? <laughs> because I've been doing this much bigger thing in your life. And you've been so worried about this. Sometimes we need to stop and ask for God to give us new perspective. Help us to see what he's really up to. And allow us to be moldable in what he's doing. Allow us to fit in the plan versus trying to tell him 
But if you just fix this, God, if you just come here, I got the problem all laid out for you, and you can do it. God says, that's not even the problem. I've got something bigger I'm doing. All right? And Jesus is at work at something much bigger. All right? Verse number 39 through 44. That's the last section that we'll read. Verse 39 through 44. This is Jesus' answer, finally. 39. Sure. Okay. Jesus said, Take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this name he stinketh, for he had been dead for, for days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus looked up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that thou hast heard me. And I, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which I stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. All right. Didn't I tell you that I was doing something else? Well, yeah. And I know you can do all that, God. You know, I, you're good, and you're, but here, but I'm going to show you what I'm about to do. And so he calls Lazarus back from heaven to say, come on back. You've got a purpose. Now, there are some Jewish history books, which is just an interesting note. They talk about Lazarus after he returned from heaven. One of the only ones ever to do so. And come back and live a life for any length of time. They said he had a great love for children, was kind and was quiet the rest of his life. The experience of four days in heaven Gave him a whole nother perspective on what things were important all right, in life. God is at work doing things. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he who liveth and believeth in me. So that doesn't mean just Yep, I believe God. You're going to take care of it all. You're going to do that. But live like you mean it. Live like you believe it. That's the hard part of faith. That's the reality whether your machine flies or doesn't. Right? You can say, I built an airplane. I'm going to build a great airplane. Because I think the wings should have holes in them. Big long holes in them. And I believe it will fly. If you really believe it, get inside and take a test drive. That's where your real where your real faith is, right? It's not the theory of, yep, I designed a fantastic airplane, I like it to sell it to everybody I can. Did you try it out? Well, not really. But I know it's gonna fly. How can you sell your faith to others? How can you tell others about it if you don't really believe it? That's a challenge for all of us, me included. What daily things are we believing that God can do? So if God chooses to take me right now, if God chooses to take me today, then I have to believe that today is an okay and I'm okay with it. 
And if I die tonight, I'll be in heaven. And I'll believe it. And it's real enough to me where there's not fear about it. Many times people get to the end of death, or the near death, the end of life, and they have fear. But if your faith is such to say, Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life. He that liveth in me and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never, ever die. So God's word is good. Do you believe it? good enough to raise Lazarus from the dead right out in the middle of reality take him away from heaven and bring him back to earth for a little while it's good enough to do that it's good enough to be some distant future heaven great, fun, wonderful and fabulous is it good enough for you and me today if he chooses to leave me here I still believe. If he chooses to take me today, I believe because he is the only place where resurrection is real and true. He's the only one that has the power to give resurrection. If he chooses to take me and then put me back like Lazarus, that'll have to be okay too. Right? That'll have to be okay. If that's God's plan, I want to be moldable in God's plan. Not to be so worried about one little thing here, but to be saying, God, even though I'm uncomfortable with what's going on around me, if you're doing something big, I want to be part of it. I want you to do this. And I think God oftentimes, we don't give him the credit that he deserves. He's done amazing things, the most amazing things ever. He's created things. He created heaven. He sustains our life. And then we say, well, I don't know if he can really help us through this situation. If you had just fixed it the way I want it, that would have been better. God says, no, no, no. Let me show you what I'm going to do. Let me show you how I'm going to fix this. I'm going to do something bigger. And not only is it going to be for my glory, it's going to be for much more. God says, you'll get so much better if you just are willing. So, this was the turning point in Jesus' ministry. It was so effective, what he did there, for Lazarus, and he'd raised other people from the dead before, but it was so effective and it was so strong that the religious leaders said, we have got to kill him or everybody's gonna believe in him. And they took a vow. From the raising of Lazarus, it changed people and they started talking more about him, much more, and they were intensely believing in him and he says they said we can't have that we've got to stop him that's the god that i want the one who offers life who can take me through any situation even if it seems terrible or wonderful he can take me anywhere and do anything all right that's the God that I want. That's whom I'm interested in. I am the resurrection and the life. So here is God communicating that now, yep, we will we walk you through every day and we give you uh, light to walk by and we provide for you uh, bread and water, all the sustaining things in life and we protect you. And then I can walk you right through death, right to the other side. You should have no fear. What's the journey like on the other side? I don't know. Sometimes I'm excited to think about it. How much better will it be than what's here? 
Now I love all my family here and all my friends here and all my church family here. It's a wonderful thing, but there's still that intriguing, amazing part of what does God really have for me on the other side? How is it going to work? What is that journey going to be like? Free from all of the things I have struggled with on this earth for so long, free from all of the the terrible things that I just so many times have said yes to that I should never have. And I'm glad that God has given me forgiveness for those, but what is it like when the struggle of that is over? What freedom to be gone with the battle, to be done with the battle, all right? Can I believe that in my life? Because that's what Christianity is. Is our faith, is my faith, is your faith strong enough to walk you through and believing that he is capable, more than capable, willing and able and ready to take you across to the other side? Whenever that is, whatever that is. That's the strength that we as Christians have, and that we don't have fear in the face of death. Not afraid of it. Not afraid of what any old virus can do to me. Not afraid of what any sickness can do to me. Not afraid of what any government can do to me. Not afraid of that. People have lived and died and stood on their faith and died for it sometimes, but it was that strong, and I want mine to be like that, where I'm not afraid and I'll walk through and know, like Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who liveth and believeth in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's what he asked Martha, because that's what you've got to believe. That's the message of God, the intense message of God. And from here on out, as we skip through, we're going to go through a couple more spots in John, the intensity of the message grows. It's been growing little, little, little more, little more, and all of a sudden now we've got the resurrection and the life. And this one is a, believe it or not, because here it comes. You will come to a point in your life you must decide. You must decide. Who do you believe in? Is God strong enough? Is Jesus strong enough in your life to bring you where you need to be? To help you through the daily grind and across the river someday to the new life. Is that strong enough in you, your belief? I am the resurrection and life. Thank you very much.